I was walking about where the soundboard was for that stage and the soundboard was gone. The tent was gone. It was just a parking lot. And I sat down and I looked at the stage and I was like, because at that point I was like, oh, our band is done. And this is literally weeks after we have, you know, the number two record in the country and like all this stuff is finally happening. And I was like, we blew it. Hello and welcome to Beautiful Failures Podcast. This is Andy Real. And I'm Stephen Keach. And this is a show where we interview creatives about failures in their life and career that help propel them where they are today. Hey guys, welcome to our first episode. Today we have a good friend of both of ours, Chris Studley. He's in a little band called Under Oath. You may have heard them. He also is a full-time composer. Yeah, he's got films uh, that have come out this year that have been in uh, Tribeca Film Festival, and he's been just a very prolific creative. And our conversation today was really, really great. We talked about a lot of really interesting points in uh, Chris's career. His crazy work schedule. Yes, we talked about it. his road to developing a work-life balance and trying to figure that out with his family. His band breaking up Yeah. Uh, during the peak of their career. And he also brings a PMA, positive yes. mental attitude. Yeah. Here we go. This is our interview with Chris. I've got a story. Okay. Uh, I love kicking off with a story. So this is the very first time I ever met you. And I don't, I doubt you remember this, or maybe you have a vague memory of this. Uh, what was that tour called that was you guys and uh, Unearth and Zayo? Uh, I must have been maybe 14. Yeah, I don't even know if that tour had a name because I don't, I don't even think we named the t- tour. It was just like, we, we, we joked around that it was the Untour because it was us, Unearth, and then a band called Underwater were on yes. it as well. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Nice. So I remember I that tour that, very well. I went to that with my sister. Uh, she's what, which five city? Year, five years older in Denver. And how old were okay. you at the time? Uh, I must have been, maybe I was, yeah, I was like 14, I think. And uh, after the show, you guys were awesome. Like, of course, you know, we we talked to Dallas a little bit. And uh, you, <laughs> he was like, all right, you guys got to come here. I got to show you guys something. And he gets you out of the, <laughs> out of the van. Oh, and he's no. like, he's like, dude, let's show him. Let's show him the thing. And you're like, all right, well, I, uh, we can't shower tonight, but uh, okay, fine. And lifted up your shirt, and he sprayed hairspray all over your belly uh, and just <laughs> lit it on fire. <laughs> What's funny is up until you said hairspray, I was like, I have no idea where the story <laughs> is going. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, just lighting ourselves on fire. Of course. Was that a pretty, like, a regular occurrence, Chris, like lighting yourself on, on fire during that era? All the touring, time. all okay. the time. Yeah, That's it was what it, tour is right. It's lighting yourself on fire consistently. Yeah, it, yeah. It what definitely was then. Um, I don't think that uh, uh, you know, late thirties, early forties guys. Now we're, we're not lighting ourselves on fire quite as much. Uh, but back then it was just let's see how close to injury slash death we can get to without actually getting there. Like I, I I was talking to my wife the other day about how at one point I remember, um, this was, this must've been like in 2000, uh, our bass player and our guitar player, we were driving down the road in our van and we were, we were running late and they needed to switch drivers, but they didn't want to pull over. So they just 
switch drivers we're going on the freeway and then like our <laughs> bass player just gets out of the driver's seat and oh then our guitar player is just holding the wheel from the side like this just and we start to like waver and then he hops and i'm like we we almost we could have crashed and it saved us what three minutes like <laughs> right and and you had a trailer i'm assuming at the time oh like, yeah yeah so. completely overweight completely yeah. uh not safe yeah. at all but yeah uh yeah, it's 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 funny how looking back on particularly those years, I'm just like, man, like how how were none of us like really seriously injured? Like, I mean, we all sure. got injured, but nothing like that stayed with us for life. So, sure, yeah. Well, welcome. It's great to have you, Chris. Uh, real quick, background wise, how did you get into like scoring? I, I've always been just a huge film nerd. Like, I just I when I was young, I would just you know, go to the video store, even if I didn't have money and I would just walk them down the aisles and make notes of what I wanted to rent when I could afford it. And, um, you know, I would always be talking to my wife about like, Oh, I, you know, I love the score for this movie and Oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could work in movies like, Oh, that one's cool. I would love to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And, um, Back in, I think this is the end of 2017 or the beginning of 2018, we were watching a movie. I don't even remember what it was. And, um, I had made some sort of comment like that. And she, you know, total like wife moment. She was like, why are you not doing this? Like you Hmm. just, why don't you just do it? And I named off all the reasons. I was like, I don't know how, I don't even know where to start. I don't have connections. I don't, there's so many things that I would need to know in order to do that. And you know, where do I even start? And she was like, why don't you just say that you're doing it? Like say that it is a thing that you do and then see what happens and just put it out there and say, Hey, this is a thing that I do. And she was like, and just see like, what could it hurt? That's some wise advice, man. That's some wise advice. She is a wise woman, wise woman. Um, and uh, I did that. Uh, what I did is I, I put a post on uh, my Twitter and my Instagram, one post. And I, what the way that I worded it was that I was opening up my studio for for writing projects. Um, so I was like, if you have a video game or a short film or a movie or an album or anything that you want me to write on contact me. I only did that because I felt a little e- I felt a little better about saying that than I did about saying, "Oh, like I com- I am a film composer now because I was not." Uh but I was the only reason I put that out there is because I was hoping that a director would or a producer would contact me and say, "Hey, we have some sort of something on screen that we want you to put music to." And uh and someone did. I had uh I had uh, actually, a friend of mine, uh, who's a uh, he was an actor at that point, and he wanted to get into directing. And he uh, he texted me. He was like, "Hey, I've got this short I'm working on. I've got no money, uh, but I think you would be cool for it." And I was like, "Hell yeah!" And I did that. And then it it was really just a snowball from there. Like I had um, another director reach out. Again, it was a similar thing where he's like, hey, I don't have a ton of money, but I've got this feature. I think that your voice would be great on it. And we connected like crazy and that movie ended up getting made and it's now released. And uh, that was like the first feature film that I scored. And then from that point, it was, it's the story you hear about everybody where it's like, oh, the, the, the a producer on this thing heard about this other thing going on and like connected me. And then, oh, I worked with this uh director on this thing and now he's moving over here and doing this thing. And, you know, so it's just, you know, that whole, 
you know, friends just kind of connecting people thing, but it all just kind of started with me just saying that I, that I did it. Um, and it, yeah, all, all well, just goes back to a wise wife. What, <laughs> what was, what was the overlap between like your, uh, your under oath career and like what you learned there, uh, and then m- making this transition into, into film scoring, did that like, uh, did you feel like you had to reinvent yourself or do you feel like you kind of uh, could just take what you knew from the under oath world and kind of apply it here? Um, what's good is I think it was a little of both. Um, at the, on one hand, there were just a lot of skills that I didn't have that I had to learn real quick. Um, you know, cause I was kind of like, I was kind of uh, sewing the parachute as I was falling sort of thing. So I was just needing to learn how to spot correctly. I was needing to learn how to work to picture. I was needing to, you know, learn learn new uh, music theory, like things that I needed to know about, like, you know, where can a violin actually play? Like what, what instrument should be doing what, et cetera, et cetera. So there was a lot there, but um, there was so much from being in a band that I know it has benefited me greatly because um, being in a band, it's a 100% collaborative effort. And you get really used to people saying, that's not a good idea. That doesn't work. Hey, do this instead. Like, and, you know, particularly yeah. just a band full of dudes is a lot of people just, you know, the loudest voice in the room, blah, blah, blah. So what I learned there was to not get married to anything creatively. Like nothing that I work on, nothing that I write am I am I precious about? Because I'm like, I just want the best idea to win. And that's the way that I go into every project that I work on. Like, I'll, I'll talk to the director, I'll talk to the producer. I'm like, look, I am here to bring your vision to the screen and like, don't come, don't feel like you have to do a compliment sandwich in order to give me a note and tell me you don't like something. I'm like, just say, Hey, this isn't working. And and I kind of preface it with, with the band thing where I'm like, look, I'm very used to just writing and, you know, throwing stuff away, writing, throwing stuff away. So, um, that's been great for me. And, and I, it's interesting cause I've, I've talked to different directors that I've worked with and they've said that for them, that is not a common trait in other composers that they've worked with because they're, they're used to composers like putting their, their heart and their soul and everything into a piece. And there's a, there, there's a large piece of them that is within that piece of music. So if the director comes back and says like, Hey, this isn't working. It's like, well, here's why I think it's working, you know, as opposed to like, okay, what doesn't work? Like, let's strip out all the stuff that doesn't work and build it again. And, you know, I think that that has, uh, that has helped me a lot. And I, and I, I hope that that also helps me a lot going forward because I, you know, as you guys know, just in a collaborative environment, like not having an ego is key, you know, because you just want to, do the best thing possible. And no matter who the idea is coming from, you know, if it's, if it's the director or you or some random friend that comes in the room and is like, Hey, that sounds weird. Like that doesn't work. Like, why are you doing that? Like just being open to all those ideas. And, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all about like not being too precious with any one idea because, you know, I, I think people are scared to kind of, uh, to have an idea and then to, 
to have to like part with it because you yeah. know they became they become our babies right like uh, but what's and, good about what we do though is you can take that baby and move it onto another hard drive and oh, just exactly. save it for later and I, I always look at it like that I'm like oh well then this is now an idea I can use for something else so yeah exactly and there's no like there's no loss really in that um so as we kind of talked about like your uh um our the we, what we want to focus on in this podcast is like the failures that make us into who we are. Uh, and whether it's just one failure or, or little tiny things that like you keep trying and it doesn't work or whatever it is. Um, but how those really shape us as creatives and, um, and kind of propel us forward. And I think this is a good segue where it's like, uh, I mean, we're talking about like, uh, you know, having to toss out our creative ideas or whatever, or, or reap, uh, you know, repurpose them in some way. But what, uh, what failures kind of have turned Chris Dudley into the Chris Dudley that is before us today? Um, man, I mean, I think that it, it's, it's interesting because I was thinking about this and I'm, I, I was thinking about, you know, okay, well, what have I failed at, like just failed at. And um, I realized that so much of my life in general, like I I have maybe a, a somewhat of a sometimes negatively optimistic output on things where it's like, I'm too optimistic about like, oh, well, that's fine because now we can, you know, it's like, oh, the, the car breaks now. And it's like, oh, well, I, I needed to get, I needed to get some exercise today anyway. Like that sort of thing, you know? <laughs> we didn't um, talk about that. You are the most positive yeah. person I think we know. And yeah. that's just and, so refreshing and awesome. And maybe to a fault sometimes. Your, <laughs> I would, I would, uh, your nickname's Mr. PMA. Um, and <laughs> I think, how do we, you know, how do we kick this this podcast off with Mr. P A yeah. talking about failures, but uh, yeah, no, for, it's it, for yeah. the non non core listeners. That's positive mental attitude, bad brains. Yeah, and I, I mean, yeah. I, I I also kind of want to know uh, your take on this because uh, you're so positive, and uh, and I want to know your secret, kind of. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I. What I realized as I was, you know, you know, uh, peek behind the curtain, I've been kind of thinking about this for a bit, you know, knowing that we were doing this podcast. And what I realized is so many of my failures, like that I would really call failures, are uh, personal, relational, just absolute uh absolute failures in, in those areas that then worm their way into other areas of my life, you know, um, you know, kind of going back to the, uh, to the under oath thing when that, when we ended up, uh, leaving that tour, like I look back at that as a huge failure of mine because I, that I had a friend who was going through, you know, it's, it's very public, you know, but, but Spencer, our singer, he was, there, there were a lot of, uh, you know, he was having drug issues and he was just going through a ton. And I was just not 
there. Like I, I like to to view myself in a certain way. I like to view myself as like, oh, like I'll I'll help anybody. I'll 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 try to like you know make every situation okay. But there was this thing that was right in front of me, and I just did not want to see it, and I didn't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. And that I I now realize as I'm getting older is something I wish I would have learned so much earlier about how important it is to have uncomfortable conversations because I would never do it because like because particularly back then it was like I want to I I want to smile through everything I want to um, you know make everybody happy but what really is needed sometimes is a a uh, a soft conversation about a really hard thing, and um, that to me that that was a big failure because there were there there were just so many things going on and I just would not address it because I'm like no that's that's uncomfortable and it almost like cost me my band at that point. Um, you know, uh, jump in real quick, Chris, refresh my memory. Like, so when you guys, when this happened, this was more or less at the peak of Underhill's career, correct? Can you paint a little picture about like when you guys like, it was, was it Warp Tour that you guys dropped off? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it, it up until that point, yeah, it was like the, what I would say is the peak of our career. Like our album had just come out. Um, it was, you know, it went to number two on Billboard. We were, you know, the biggest band on the warp tour the shows were insane like the the year after that was lining up to be ridiculous and um yeah we just went home you know we hmm. we it, it got to a point where we were on stage just angry at each other hmm. and you know, from the outside, it, it probably just looked like an angsty, heavy band putting everything into their show. But what it really was, was us taking out all of our, everything that had been building up in the bus for the past, you know, 23 hours up until that show. Um, because we didn't know how to talk to each other. We didn't know how to actually resolve any sort of issue. And we were just letting it all out there, which may be made for a good show, but it wasn't good for humans. Um, so, you know, it, it, that was a failure of mine, but, you know, I think we've talked about it since, you know, I think it was a failure of, of our entire band, you know, and sure. we have, you know, we've, as we've gotten older, like, you know, we've learned how to navigate that a lot better. Um, and, um, you know, cause, cause I, I always say that, uh, you know, being in a band is similar to being like married to yeah. five other very opinionated, Absolutely. Dudes, yeah, which definitely. is just like, it's what? not easy. Yeah. I remember very vividly, um, when we decided we were going home, uh, that day, cause it was like toward the end of the show and, um, we we were like, okay, well, when bus call hits, which was like 10 o'clock or whatever, like, you know, the bus is now going to Florida instead of going to the next show. I was walking around when they were tearing the stages down and the people were cleaning up the trash from the from the uh from the ground and all that. Like there was nobody there. I was just kind of like walking around and I had this immense feeling of 
blowing it. Like, like I, I had, I had put so much of what was happening on me, and I, I'll never forget. I there was the stage that we had played that day, and I was walking about where the soundboard was for that stage, and the soundboard was gone, the tent was gone, it was just a parking lot, and I sat down. And I looked at the stage and I was like, because at that point I was like, oh, our band is done. And this is literally weeks after we have, you know, the number two record in the country and like all this stuff is finally happening. And I was like, we blew it. Like we just threw all of this away. I blew it. I threw all of this away, like blaming myself, being angry, like, you know, honestly, at that point, you know, feeling like I had let God down, like I was just like everything good that's come of this is now just like going in the trash because we are not able to handle each other uh, personally. You know, so it was it was it was all failure. It was all sad. Like there was. Uh, it was it was a very quiet time in my house. I remember when I got back, like I was just like, you know, I'm not good at uh, uh, talking about things, negative things that I'm going through at, in the moment. Like, because I'm, I usually am very much, um, I'm very much like, uh, I'll deal with this on my own, and then I'll talk about how I dealt with it later. You know, I don't want to like mm-hmm. burden anybody with, you know. So it was, yeah, it was. It was zero fun. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, we were able to, you know, I now know in hindsight, we were able to kind of put a Band-Aid on it. You know, we, we it hadn't been resolved, but we were like, okay, like, this is good enough for us to be, you know, be able to continue to do this. But, you know, it yeah, didn't really get, I wouldn't say it got resolved until probably about 2016-ish. Wow. How long of a period was that then? From like that would have been like, two, what, like ten years. Wow. Yeah, from two thousand six is when we left, and then I would say the point where we really, as adults, came together and worked out what our deal was was twenty sixteen. What do you feel like the catalyst was for you guys to work that out? Just maturity and time. Time for sure. Uh, our band breaking up, like not being forced to be in a, in a bus together. Um, definitely those things. Like I know that if we had not actually broken up back when we did, um, we couldn't have continued, you know, and it was that time away from one another and having us realize that we do want to do this. We do enjoy it. Like, you know, we don't have to do it because we had to do it for so long. Like we wanted to, but at the same time, it had just become so, so much bigger than us that we, we didn't have a choice. We were just like, okay, well this is now like we had a year and a half ahead of us just planned out. And it's like, you know, everything came second birthdays, anniversaries, nothing came before the band. And, uh, it took us breaking up and, uh, you know, being, being dads, uh, you know, being husbands first for the first time ever. Um, that, that was, huge and you being the guy that was like the pma positive member of the band that maybe kind of was the bridge and kept everybody together you felt like a massive kind of responsibility when that whole situation happened on warp tour correct 
Um, I would say that I, I take an equal amount of blame in that. Like, you know, I don't think yeah. that it was up to me any more than it was the other guys, but totally. I take probably I feel more responsibility than I probably should for that. Right. Um, because, uh, you know, just because I put that on myself so many times, like I put it on myself to, you know, I, I have, I just have a weird thing where like, I don't know what, I'm sure that if I went to therapy, there would be like a thing, a, a name for it. But it's like, if there's like a, if there's like a group of people or like a party or something, and there's like people who are just kind of off to the side who are not talking. Like I, I tend to be drawn to go and like, cause I feel like I have to make sure that, that everything's okay all the time. And, um, so I put that pressure on myself, but I don't, I don't think that anybody else in the band would, would, would say that that's the case. I'm just curious. Uh, what are you, uh, I don't know. I uh, know every podcast talks talks about the Enneagram, but do you know what you are on the Enneagram? No, but I, I really want to find out because um, I have a friend who uh, owns a, a company in uh, Orlando, and he has a thing where every one of his employees uh, does it. And he has just had rave things to say about how it has affected their uh, you know, their communication and he's like all in on it. I, I actually texted him because I'm like, I want to, I want to find out, like, how do I find out what my, I'll send you a link. Oh, please do. Because I I want that. I don't know if there's like a test or something that you do. There's there's an app that I found to be the most accurate for me personally. That's like a dollar. I'll send send you that link. Please send. I I would love to see it. Yeah. It's great. I mean, what you're saying, I mean, I'm a, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, which is like the peacemaker, which is like, you don't like, you literally feel sick if people aren't getting along in your life. Yes. And that's been a main component of my life where it's just like, I, and that makes it really hard to have like hard conversations. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because in that moment, everything's not okay and nobody's smiling. And it's the, in what, what I found is like, I feel like in those moments, I'm like on a, on a, uh, on a tightrope, And I'm like, I don't like to be here. I I like to be where everything is, is, is smiles and everything is good. Um, but what I'm, I'm happy about is as I've gotten older, I've recognized that those conversations and those moments, like, I look at it as just like tearing off a Band-Aid because afterward, yeah. Yeah. it's always better. Everything's yes. always better. And and it, t- it just took me time to realize that. And I'm like, I need to do this more. Like, Because yeah. yeah. if, if doing this uncomfortable thing makes everything better afterward, then, you know, I need to do it, you know? Absolutely. And Chris, so we, we kind of connected in person for the first time when you guys were on that corn tour like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I as an outsider looking at under oath now, a, I think under oath out of that era and scene is still at the top of their game. So props to that. That's, that's hard to do. Uh, it's hard to, to keep going for this long, as you know, and B, kind of the dynamics you were describing to me as how you operated as a, as a band now is really cool and seemed like super healthy. Like I remember you saying you guys had like all like had to agree on something to do it. And like, it just, it seemed like as adults, like people in their late thirties and early forties being in a band, this was the best and maybe only way to successfully do it. Uh, that's very correct. It is the best way. 
hands yeah. down, and it is the only way. And that was something that um, we. It was a conscious thing because you know we wanted to make sure that any time that we are doing things together, we are having fun and we're enjoying it. And we realized that if we ever, we we just don't want to get to a point where we feel like we are beholden to the machine of under oath. Like we we've said, particularly over the past seven years, six years. We've said no to so much for any reason. And that's a thing that I love is the fact that, you know, we'll, we'll get an offer for something and, uh, you know, we, we have a, we have a spoken agreement that we, we will agree to tour for three months out of the year. That's right. And we, and we put that on our team and we say, you know, our, our, our manager, our booking agent, we're like, Hey, you, you have these three months, make it the most baller awesome, banging three months you can. And then anything after that, anybody can say no to anything for any reason. If Mm. we get an offer for whatever tour and I have a film I'm doing, I can just say, and and it's fine, um, or if uh, you know, like like the last tour that we did, uh, it it, it uh, our last headlining tour, it one of the days uh, was James's son's birthday, yeah, and he told our management and our booking agent before the tour was even confirmed, he was like, I will not be there for these three days. Like, whereas mm. before we would just roll through, and that was just what it is. But now we're at a point where we're all just like. You're not missing his birthday. Like, of go. course not. This isn't yep. important. This, like, yep. th- we love doing this. It's so fun. People connect to it. It's it's amazing. But in the scheme of things, it's not important. Like, we, well, this is just something that we love to do. And if it's going yep. to, you know, take away from, you know, if it's going to take away from anything, then we just don't want to do it, you know? Yeah. That's a so huge, healthy. that's like so a, healthy. yeah, that's a huge indicator of like creative maturity right there where yep. it's like, you know, you're young and you're like killing yourself to do this thing. You're like we said earlier, lighting yourself on fire every night, uh, because you think that that's what you have to do to achieve your goals or like to whatever. Um, but as you get older, uh, it becomes more evident that, you know, like family, uh, you know, yourself, your, your mental health, your, uh, all of that stuff takes precedent over your career, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and, uh, if you're not taking care of one of those avenues, then the others are going to, to suffer from that. Right. Like, yeah. And, and also I think in my opinion, what I found is that creatively, particularly the last record that we did, um, I think that that album, uh, cause we, we, did it all ourselves. We decided not to go with a producer. We just wanted to get in a room and just do everything top to bottom ourselves. And I think that that album proves to me that all of these things that we've been, that we've been putting into place from the, um, the, the comfortability of talking to each other, you know, telling each other positive, negative things, uh, being able to say no to doing things like kind of just doing everything on our terms that has uh, wormed its way into the creative process to, and I think it's making it's, it's just leveling up our creativity like crazy because when we're in a room, we are 
excited and it's just like we're like laughing and like we're like oh my gosh this is awesome and like you know granted there's still the times when you just have to grind and put in the work but having that record be done and hearing the result i am more proud of that record than any other record that we've done and you know obviously i'm biased but um <laughs> but i all i think that that is the cuz if we if we did all this stuff, we're 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 you know changing in these ways personally, and then we did a record, and it and we were just kind of like, oh, like, um, you know, okay, that was a you know not not quite there. Then I would think like, well, I wonder if there were some bit of our creative selves that we have lost in that. But uh, when we got done with Voyeurist, I was like, shit, like, I think this might. I'm biased again, but I think this might be my favorite thing we've ever done. And what's fun awesome. is, is people have the thing that they keep saying about that record is this is the record that I wanted you guys to write after in insert record here. And it, it's different for everybody. Like, and everybody just keeps saying like, this is what I want you guys to, to be. And nice. uh, to me, that's like, that's like the biggest thing there is. So for me to see us being, uh, personally in a better spot than we've ever been in, in a way that we can like function long-term and still love each other and still have fun and not just do it to do it. And then yeah. also be in a creative space where we are again, in my opinion, doing the best work of our careers. The fact that that's all happening at the same time that, you know, tells me that uh, we're, we're on a good track. So, you know, not to say that there's not still growing and, Sure, and and learning to do, but you know, I'm. I I'd love to yeah. know about. Um, <clears throat> so, I played for As Cities Burn on on the Under Oath Farewell tour, that like two mm-hmm. and a half week thing. What was it like, um, kind of coming out of that farewell tour and uh, and the band being done for a little while? Like, what what was that like for you personally? What did it specifically? What did it feel like? coming home from that did it feel like rest and like exhale or did it feel like who the hell am i it was very weird um like i'll never forget the morning after that show and you know and when people look at it in hindsight they're like oh you took a hiatus but like that wasn't what it was like we you know this is another one of those learning moments where from the time we were in high school it was we are either road dogs and we are because we we equated the amount of time that we we're on the road to the amount of uh, of heart that we were putting in the band. Yep. So we looked yep. at it as if we're not going to be a touring band full time, then why are, why are we doing this? Like yep. what what's the you know that that means we're not giving it our all, and we should just not do it. You know, and, and it kind of became a a thing where you can either choose to be a dad who is is present with your kids as much as you want to be, or you can be in a band. And particularly for me and Tim and James, we were just like, easy. We're, we're, we're going to go be dads, you know? Yeah. Um, but so because I've been doing it for so long, we, um, you know, so for people who don't, who don't know our band, we, you know, uh, back in 2000, end of 2000, I think 10, beginning of 2011, we, we decided we were going to break up. We uh, did a, a farewell tour and uh, I woke up the next morning after that show, and it hit me that from the time I was a sophomore in high school, 
I was Chris from Under Oath. I realized that that was my identity. Like, I realized that that was how I identified myself. Um, even though being a dad and being a husband was most important to me, I didn't realize how much of my identity I had wrapped up in the band because I woke up that morning and I was like, oh, I am not Chris from Under Oath anymore. Like, mm. I'm just Chris Dudley, father of two at that point, you know? Um, so that was weird, but honestly, that didn't last very long. Like the, the, all the all the time that we were broken up, those years were great. Like I loved it. I loved just being home all the time with my kids. I loved just all of that. was was great for me. I I didn't have a a point in time where I was like, man. Was this the right decision? I was just like, this, this is this is great, you know. But then, you know, it can't kind of came full circle to where it was like, hey, you know, we we had started talking about um, you know, there was an album that we had that was coming up on a 10-year anniversary, and you know, we were still in a group chat with the band and everything. We were just like, hey, like, what if we played a show to commemorate this? Is you know, this is a couple of years later. And I was like, oh, that would be fun. Like, you know, just to get together with the guys, play music, blah, blah, blah. That snowballed into doing a tour for that album. And then that became the discussion of, hey, is there a way that we can do this band that is as advantageous for guys in their late 30s as it was for guys in their teens and their 20s? And we realized that we love each other. We love playing music together. You know, playing live music is fun. And when we got to a point that we realized we could do that, that was where all this stuff came in. We're like, hey, like, what can we agree to, to where we can continue to do this and have fun, but also be there for our families, you know? And that was where that balance really was struck. And it, you know, it took us breaking up to find it, but I'm, I'm thankful that we did. That's great. Kind of going back to like you juggling, would you say like, you know, two careers now, uh, composer mm-hmm. and under oath. Would you consider those both like, like, f- like two part time things, two full time things? Like, how how do you how do you balance that out? Uh, well, I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, okay. But right now, I would say that I've got a full time thing, which is my film scoring. Yeah, and another almost full-time thing, which is under oath, um, you know, cause we, you know, we're, we're, you know, still, you know, we're not touring all the time, but you know, we'll do, uh, two tours a year ish, uh, you know, but then we're writing and all that stuff. But then at yeah. the same time, you know, I'm working on film and I'll, and I have a, a mobile studio that I bring with nice. me on tour okay. and it, for, if I'm working on a film while I'm on tour and that's a whole other thing, because then I'm basically just doing two things all the time. Yeah. And that was actually something, you know, kind of going back to, to, to failures and, you know, shaping us, et cetera. Um, that was the thing that I had another, um, conversation with, with my wise wife about, um, because she was having, uh, reservations about the type of schedule that I was keeping, Mm -hmm. which was no schedule, which was, Mm -hmm. I was in this room all the time. Like if I wasn't on tour, I was in this room working on a movie Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
she had said, you know, in hindsight, I now know this, but, you know, she had said a lot like, hey, like, work as much as you need, but I need to, I need to be able to know when you're not working because, you know, there will be times when I would, I would come to bed and then I'd be laying there and I'm like, oh, I have an idea. And I would come out here and then I would be out here for three hours. There'd be times when, you know, Sunday would roll around and I'm like, oh, I, I have to, I have to work today. And she's like, well, I didn't know, like we're planning on going to church or whatever. Um, and I looked at that as, well, this is just a, a life of a creative, you know, it's like, I, I, I have inspiration. I have to chase it. I, I've got deadlines I have to meet, blah, blah, blah. And it took her coming in here and sitting on that couch and saying, this cannot continue. She was like, you have to have office hours. You cannot just go all the time whenever you want. And she laid out, she was like, you know, I can't plan anything for us, for the kids, because I don't know when you are working, when you're not. I I don't know if I'm going to have an evening with you. I don't know if I'm going to have a morning with you. She was like, if you need to work 12 hours a day, just let me know what 12 hours those are going to be and stick to those 12 hours. She was like, I don't care how much you're working. We just need to, I just need to know when. Um, And it took like a, a direct, stern discussion about that for me to say like, oh, okay, this, this needs to change. And I, you know, and looking at that, that I view that as a failure on my part because she had said those same things in different ways for months. And I was just in my zone. I was like, okay, okay, sweetie. Yeah. yeah, I'll be back in a second. And like, honestly blowing her off. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that conversation with her turned into now me realizing that if I had continued that type of schedule, um, you know, particularly over COVID because I was working on, uh, uh, multiple projects at one time. So I I was working from, I had a schedule quote unquote at that time, it was 9am to 6pm. And then I would take from six to seven off to hang out with the kids and my wife. And then I would work from seven to one on my second project. I was on that schedule for over a year. Did you you take weekends or what? I, she would force me to take some weekends. And I'd say force like lightheartedly. Like I was, I was not taking weekends unless she would say like, Hey, like, take tomorrow off, you know? And that I, I, I've never had, um, thoughts about my mental health in general. Like I, Hmm. that's just not anything that's ever in my, in my head of like, Hey, like, how am I doing mentally? How am I blah, blah, blah. But I like, I broke down at one point, like more than I ever have for anything. Mm-hmm. And right. I, I'll, I'll, forget, I'll never forget. I was just standing in our room, and I was. Just, my wife asked me to do something stupid. It was like, "Hey, can you unload the dishwasher?" And it was on that six to seven p.m. break. And I just like stood there, and I just like broke down. I was like, "I can't unload the dishwasher. I have an hour, 
and I have to go to my second project, I've got a whole night, like it's 6.45 and I'm making another big coffee. And I'm like, I've got work until 1 a.m. Like you can't unload it. And then it just turned into this whole thing. And, uh, you know, at that point I had kind of already committed to some stuff, so I couldn't like just stop. But after that, uh, discussion with my wife, I, I had moved to, um, doing like 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, those are my like office hours during the week. And then my weekends are off unless I have, because, you know, you know, in this career, like there are times when you can't just take Saturday and Sunday off, you know, (laughs) but what I, committed to was telling her, if I have to work a Saturday or a Sunday, I'm going to let you know way ahead of time. And that is, that's been honestly really, really good. But, you know, again, that all of that, now that healthy space that we, that I think that we're in now only came through me failing to realize how I was affecting her, how I was affecting my family, how I was hurting myself. You know, I just, I had no idea that it was just, I was just in a grind mode and I was like, Oh, this is just what I have to do. You know? So it's, yeah. that's wild. Thank you for sharing that. It's almost like you were on tour still, but even worse. Cause you were there in the home with them. <laughs> like if you yes. only had that one hour, that's yeah. wild. That's yeah, that wild. wild. Yeah. And it went on for way too long. What, what, um, at, to kind of wrap this up, like, yeah. I think it'd be great to hear from you, Chris, for our listeners. Like, how do you keep yourself creatively sharp? Like, what do you do now? Like, um, balancing between under oath and your scores. Like, how do you, I guess, like what tips and tricks or. <laughs> Cause what? you've done, you've done an impressive amount of projects yeah. over the last couple of years. Like, a very impressive amount of projects and, and while juggling uh, a band as well and family. Like whether it's like, yeah, all you have to do is work 10 AM to 6 PM (laughs) and you take from six to seven off (laughs) work seven to one and you're set. How many coffees a day was that by the way? Real quick. I think it's measured in pots at that point. Wow. Right. I don't know. Would you say four pots a day? Well, I had a Keurig, so it was just, (laughs) Oh, just constant. I I realized because I I've got mine right here. I would do I would do sixteen ounces of black cold brew at nine. I would do sixteen ounces at two, and then I would do sixteen ounces at seven. Okay, so I mean, it, for cold and strong cold brew, so it was a lot. It's like yeah. tw- it's like twelve twelve cups of coffee essentially. Yeah, it was but, it was a lot. But, it was it was not good. But yeah, um, like what do you, what do you do to keep yourself sharp? Whether it's through like your own like mental health stuff or like just balance in your personal life. How do you, how do you stay sharp creatively? Um, the short answer is I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, you know, I guess the bit of longer answer would be, I, I, I've been trying to find, particularly since I started doing film work, a, a, a balance between, um, being inspired and just doing the work, because I think that the just doing the work portion for me, uh, was the biggest thing that helped me overall like when i i had the i i've told the story a few times but i i read this interview 
with Woody Allen where he was talking about how he sets because uh, he's super prolific and you know he just writes so much and directs so much and somebody asked him like how do you do all that like it's just so much work and he what he said he does is he sits down and he gives himself hours he was like I'm gonna write for four hours today no matter what and most of it's gonna be garbage like a- accepting you know, he accepts that most of it's not going to be good. And he was like, but if I throw away 80% of what I did, the 20% that I keep, I would not have gotten that if I had waited until I was inspired to Hmm. write, you know? And I always use the analogy of, um, I look at inspiration. Like if you are on a small boat, with a with a sail and you're trying to cross a, an ocean inspiration is when the the wind picks up and you sure. can we yeah. can lift the sail up and you're like oh, okay and I'm going to ride that for until the wind stops but if you're not paddling when the wind's not blowing you're never going to make it you're going to die out there you know so i just uh, i i've pivoted over the past like 5 years to doing more of that you know sitting down and saying and actually I got one of these guys, like an actual hourglass. Very cool. And I have this on my desk. And what I'll do is I'll flip it and I'll say, okay, this this scene, this whatever, I am only gonna work on that until I have to do it at least until this is down. And I I can't stop. And that's been really helpful for me. Um, but as far as like being actually creatively sharp, I I think that the biggest help that I have found is knowing when to take a walk, um, because there, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a fine line for every creative. Because there's times when you do just need to just grind it. You'd be like, I know that this idea is here. I can't procrastinate and and leave and go and do something else. I have to get it done. But then there's other times where you just need to step away for a second. And that actually happened literally yesterday. Yeah. I was I, I just finished the last film that I was working on, just finished it last night, delivered everything. But it no, was congratulations. a congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you. I'm, I'm 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 super stoked. But it was a down to the wire thing because the director, there was one scene, he was just like, this, I don't know what it is. He was like, this just isn't hitting the way that it needs to. And it's it's, it's like it was the climactic scene of the the climactic shot, everything kind of rode on this one thing. And it was like three hours before um, I needed to deliver the the wave of this scene, the the tracks. And I was just like, I I knew it was, I thought it was a mix issue. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why it's not working. I would get, I'm like, tell me like what you want it to feel like and tell me what it feels like to you now. Trying all this stuff, it wasn't working. And then in the meantime, my wife was like, Hey, I'm not going to cook dinner. We're going to go out to dinner. Why don't you come out to dinner with us? And I was like, and we're just going up the street, the end of our street, there's a restaurant. And, uh, I was like, I can't, I was like, I, I have to get this done and I can't figure it out. And I have to just do this. And she was like, why don't you, we're going to be 40 minutes here. She was like, I know that it's time. Why don't you just come with us and then come back to it? Hmm. I didn't want to, but again, wise wife stuff. I was like, all right, I'll come. Literally, we are in the car at the end of our driveway. And I was like, oh, I got it. And I literally made a voice note because I realized what uh, it, it took me not thinking about it for literally four minutes. Yep. And right. I was like, oh, 
I know what it is. And I made a voice note to remind me when I got back. When I got back, I tried that thing and I was like, there it is. Sent it to the director. And he was like, that's it. He's like, what, what wasn't working before? And I was like, it's, it's stupid. So, uh, that's not great. To, yeah, that's not awesome. to get too nitty gritty, but so knowing those times when it's like you know, don't think about it. You know, yeah. and um, uh, you know, yeah, go for a walk. Yeah. Have you read or listened to the book uh, "Catching the Big Fish" by David Lynch, Chris? Uh-uh. So it's he's super into like meditation and whatnot. It's a very quick read. I highly recommend it. But to summarize it, it's like your best ideas will come when you're not trying or thinking they'll just, they'll they'll come to you. Um, And he takes it even further, like with his meditation practices and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's wild how that's, that's a thing. Like every creative that I know, they talk about that where they're like, whether it's a, whether it's a, a music thing, a drawing thing, a business thing. Like I know, I know business people who are like, "Oh, the solution to this problem came when I was in the shower thinking about something yeah. completely different, and I've right. been grinding on it." And there's something that our brains do, and also I've noticed that that point in between being awake and being asleep, that little yeah. in between time, there mm-hmm. is something in there that I feel like our brains just do something and there's problem solving going on in a, on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. And, um, I actually, I think it was, it was Thomas Jefferson or one of those like Renaissance man type of people. And he had talked about that back then where he was like, if he needed a solution for a problem, he would take a nap and mm-hmm. people for a long time thought that he was taking naps because like, Oh, I need sleep. But he had talked later on in his life about how, that was where his solutions would come to him. Like right as he was about to fall asleep, he's like half the time I would never even take a nap. I would never get to sleep. I would just start to fall asleep and then the solution would present itself. And yeah, it's yeah. That's wild. great. That's great. Um, so this is going to be coming out in January at some point. So I just saw like an under oath tour get announced, right? Like yes. two days ago. So if you want to like anything that's coming out film wise or with under oath next year that you want to, quickly talk about or plug great if not that's fine yeah too. yeah under oath's going on tour um i think that that tour is in i think it's march and april february or march i have to i have to look again but um it's us a band called loathe and a band called periphery and that's going to be dope it's uh going all over the u.s um you guys are coming to nashville i saw yeah I think, yeah it's, I think yeah, marathon. it's gonna be super so. super fun um and then uh I have a film that actually the film that I just got done with it already has uh, distributions coming out soon. I think like by the end of January. So uh, it's a film called nightmare at precinct 84. Um, that's coming out soon. Um, there's a film that I did uh, that I was just at Tribeca with this year called I peace in the Valley. And I think that that's coming out in, I think it's coming out in February. Cool. Um, and then uh, I'm working on, a uh, a kids superhero movie, oh, uh, and I'm very stoked on it. It's called Wonder London, uh, and that probably won't be coming out till like I'm guessing summer. But uh, who's doing that? Up. Who's behind that? Uh, nobody that I had known before uh, okay. starting. The, yeah, yeah. This, okay. uh, Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 wild. It's uh, directors uh, Patrice. Um, this is going to sound really bad on a podcast because I I don't 
I don't remember her last name now. Uh, now that I'm put on the on the spot, but uh, no, it's it's yeah, it's cool. I, I got a cut of it, and it's it's a lot of fun. So that'll be coming out, and my kids will be able to watch that. So that's cool. Um, and also, I did another uh, kids movie that'll be out. By the time this comes out, uh, it's called "The Beast Comes at Midnight." Um, nice. It's like a cool. like a like a PG werewolf movie, <laughs> like you know, for for kids, and that's uh, that's a lot of fun. So if you got kids and they like uh, not quite scary stuff, that'll be perfect for them. I I have to ask. Um, so behind Chris, he has all these like horror masks, like Leatherface, and I can't see who else but what what do you think what what do your kids think of your masks uh they're not huge fans of them but what's funny <laughs> as uh is now i mean because you know i just had them for so long like they think it's really cool that they can like put them on and and scare people um but mo- <laughs> most of them like because if i do a movie that has a mask in it i always try to get uh the director to to give me or sell me the mask because like okay. i just love having it so a couple of those are from movies that i've done uh and then uh a couple are just from uh, this artist in Atlanta named Addison Morar, and okay. uh, that th- he's really good. I, yeah, I just I like masks. I think they're, I think they're cool. I have a friend who collects vintage wax heads. Oh um, hell yeah! So I feel like that's way scarier than masks. These like weird wax. No oh, wax, anything is terrifying. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have Did you, you ever seen that of House of like... Wax movie? No, no. No, no, it's a movie it. that came out in like the late nineties. Yeah. It's a horror movie about people getting trapped in a wax, like an old wax <laughs> museum, and then like the the wax like comes to life. Kind of, it's, oh, it's cheesy. Uh, Orphan first kill. Oh uh, yeah, that's out. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, out. Everybody can see that. You yeah, I was I was thinking like stuff that is about to come out, but yeah, no, I I worked on a movie called Orphan First Kill uh, with a friend of mine named Brett. Uh, I. Worked on him, worked on that with him for oh nice about five weeks. Uh, okay, so cool. I'm uh, I'm technically additional arrangements by on that. Uh, I didn't realize you guys worked together. That's awesome. Yeah, That's yeah. Awesome. It was it was cool. That 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 was a uh, uh, just one of those things that that happened. They were they were coming up on a on a deadline and uh, and Brett was like, hey, could use some help and sent me the film and a bunch of uh, stuff to work off of. And it was just like, Hey, make this stuff rad. And it, uh, yeah, it was, that was a, that was a lot of work. That was like five weeks straight of just pure writing, like nonstop. But, uh, but we got there, you know, it was, it was, it was cool. Um, we might cut some of this, but, but to summarize, um, pastor Chris, be pastor Chris (laughs) for a minute. (laughs) Give, um, what advice do you have for young, young creatives? create as much as possible. Like I I really think that that all of it can be distilled in just writing, what painting, talking, whatever your art is, do it as much as possible because um I, I actually heard Ed Sheeran uh put it in a really good way. He was talking about how when you're young and you're just getting started, look at your creativity as like you're walking into an old house and you turn on the faucet. He was like, the first you know, five minutes the faucet's on, it's just going to be all 
crap coming out. It's all, you know, brown and gross. He's like, but you have to turn the faucet on for a while in order to get the good stuff that you know is going to be there. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, because, you know, you could kind of go down a, a rabbit hole of saying like, you know, oh, be productive, post your stuff online, be visible, all of this stuff. But all of that just comes down to doing the work, you know, just yeah. writing yeah. over and over again and giving yourself that leeway to, to, to be okay with the first, however much stuff you do being garbage. Like, like if you go into it saying, Hey, 90% of what I'm going to do is not good. That, that helps you along because then when you do get a song done, you're just like, nothing's good in this except for this guitar part. You're not discouraged. You're like, Oh, I got this good guitar part. Let's take this part bring it into something else. Because I think a lot of yeah. people get discouraged when, you know, it, if they're just getting started or if they're 30 years into their career, if they're doing stuff that's not good, but they're expecting to do something good, then it can be disheartening. But if you just go into the creative process saying, most of this is going to be bad, then it's great when you find the good stuff, you take that good stuff, put it with this other good stuff that you did last week. And then before you know it, you've got a, a finished piece of work that you're actually proud of. Incredible. Have you ever read the book, The Practice by Seth Godin? No, Great. I don't, I don't read nearly enough. Like normally if anybody says, Hey, have you, have you read the book? I guess just go like, no, <laughs> I, do, uh, I do audible, but yeah, yeah listen to it, catch, um, catching the big fish. For I, sure. I use the Libby app, which is the, the library app. Have you ever used that? Oh, it's incredible. You can do audiobooks on it. I, and I listen to audiobooks Wait, all the time. Like, like but, if you have a library card, most libraries Libby. will be connected to oh, Libby. So you can get uh, Kindle that. books and you can get uh, um, audiobooks and stuff like that on, oh, on Libby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my kids have that. I honestly totally forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. Um, but the practice talks about you just show up, like show up every day and mm-hmm. practice and then uh, show up and do it. And then just like your analogy of, you know, you paddle until you hit the wind, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you just I, keep going and creating. I actually heard uh, Pharrell use have a really good uh, uh, analogy for that as well. He, I, th- I think the way he put it was that creativity is he he looks at it as like something that's constantly swirling around. He's like, who knows how much of it is there? Who knows where it is in that exact moment? But it's always going around somewhere. And he's like, you're not gonna be able to grab it out of the air unless you keep reaching like Hmm. he's like he's imagining that it's like you know just like physical things there's like so if you're not going into the studio and writing if some is blowing through if there's if there's some some sort of good creative juju you're not going to get it unless you keep showing up to the studio because that's the only way that you're going to get it you know and i yeah so it's funny because all of those things are kind of different creatives coming to the same conclusion of like, you know, you just have to put in the work and stuff will happen, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, I'd I'd love to wrap this up with another Chris story. Uh, Oh boy. Me saying this one's really good. Uh, (laughs) You. Okay. So uh, I'm a composer uh, as you are. And uh, this was, man, I think you just came to the show. Uh, I was there with Haste the Day, uh, and it was at Janice Landing. Is that the venue? Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, and backstage, you were like, we had just met, 
and we were talking about like writing music and you were telling me about reason. Oh, okay. You actually gave me my first copy of reason. Oh, wow. And that like, and you you were like, Oh no, I've I've got it right here. Like, let's put it on your computer and this will get you started. And I did a lot of like my writing and reason even for haste today. Uh, and like, just, I learned a lot about the music production process because I had that program and oh, you, awesome. you got me on there and, uh, oh, learning dude, synthesizers rules. and stuff like that. So thank How you. How long ago was that? Um, let's see. So that must I, have been forever ago. I'm 36 like, now. So, uh, I was 19 then. Um, okay. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Long wow. time ago. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's wild how that stuff, it's just, just the butterfly effect sort of thing. Yeah. It's exactly. Wild, that one little it. thing really helped me, uh, today. Uh, I love so. that. I love so, that. And look, here we are just a bunch here of freaking creative old dudes trying to keep creative <laughs> and making stuff. Exactly. I think <laughs> we just all want to be Pharrell when we grow up. I think Pharrell's Honestly, like yeah. peak. He's, I mean, he's how, really we, cool. how do we get there? But awesome. Chris, thank you very much. This is, uh, this has been awesome. And thank you for making our first episode easy. And thanks for having me. Great conversation. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.